Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. Well, I'm delighted to have you on the show, Bill. And I'm, um, as you know, we've connected over a series of um, months about your book, um, 3D Customer. Um, would you give us a little insight as to what made you write this book in the first place? Absolutely. I have I've had a research business for over 12 years, and I have seen all kinds of voice of the customer surveys, and I realized that in all of that surveying that certain customers were, or certain companies that were our clients were very exceptional. The others were doing well, but not exceptional. And I said, what is the cause of that exceptional, of being exceptional? And I realized upon further study that they were doing things much differently than some of the other companies. So they were very much more customer-centered than they were Mm product-centered. Does that make sense? Yeah, and as I read through your book, you sort of um, give a profile of, you know, one-dimensional, two-dimensional, and then this three-dimensional customer centricity. Can you sort of take us through those sort of different levels or the different, um, yeah, the different perspectives you have as people or companies graduate towards being more customer-centric? So you started with product-centric. Well, first of all, let's let's define that. I think that the the service that you and I and everyone else is used to is one-dimensional. And We've been trained, unfortunately, to think that's normal. Mm. All right. So my purpose here is to say it's not normal, not anymore. It's time to reinvent customer service. I I don't even like that term, customer service. I like to think in terms of customer success. But most people relate to the term customer service. And Mm. so it's time to reinvent it. If you look at customer satisfaction surveys, which have been done in the U.S. and Europe and and practically globally, over the last 20 years, the scores have not changed. Mm. And people and companies have expected us to say, well, that's normal. Just accept that. And then you can buy our product and that sort of thing. And when we give you, when we're nice to you and smile to you, smile at you, then that should be wonderful, right? Because that's what we call customer service. And I'm saying, no, it's time to time to disrupt that. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the age that we live in is expecting more. Absolutely. It's not that the other is, is wrong. It's, it's just not enough. It's, yeah. So we keep asking what's missing. So Steve Jobs, who invented or ran Apple, used to describe the the difference between television and the internet as television is the lean back media Mm -hmm. and the internet is a sit forward media. Mm. And I think companies have trained us to lean back. And in fact, they lean back. I'll call it old fashioned, but it's the, it's what they consider traditional. The traditional way of looking at it has been lean back. Now, I think in the, with all of the social media that you're so involved with and the marketing of the 
internet generation, if you want to call it that, is more of a sit forward. What else can we do? Let's think of something that's new and different and how can we improve customer service? Mm. Yeah, that's very true. And I like that analogy because it does feel like not just, um, you know, customer centricity or, or customer service is this lean forward. It feels like everything in life is lean forward. <laughs> and so there's this curiosity because of this connectedness. Right. Yeah. I just wonder whether the customers are driving that or whether the companies are seeing there's an opportunity or there's a space for them to fill and get this competitive advantage. Well, I think it's a good. I think it's a good question. I think it. I think the companies, most companies, would love for you to continue to think that way. Mm. Just, just lean back and accept what we're doing. It's normal, and we can. But we still want you to buy our product. And I think that it's imperative that the customers, consumers start to think differently and say, you know, it's more it's important to me that you do something more for me. And not in terms of concessions or anything like that, but just be more customer centered. Think like I think like me. Yeah. So what I say if it's it's not about what the customer can do for you, it's what you can do for the customer. Absolutely. Does that make sense? I think it and does. And it used to be, and, and when you when most of the, the experts, so-called experts, talk about customer loyalty, they always frame it in terms of retaining them and locking them in and mm. that sort of thing in a very mechanical kind of metaphor. And I think that's changing now. I think it's changing to a more organic metaphor where rather than looking at how they can how we can keep them retain them so they'll continue to buy from us to look at it from a standpoint of what else can we do for them to make them more successful and the, then the loyalty that we expect from them will be automatic because they won't want to will not want to go anywhere else yeah almost so it's a, a instead of a yeah instead of a push system that pushes product it's a more of a pull system that says let's do things for the customer that will bring them in absolutely and i'm just right. i'm just wondering because there seems like there's more information on both sides of that equation the customer has more information and can verbalize it they can say the bad experiences now tenfold online <laughs> and the companies can now if they if they choose to listen to, so there can be this um, this feedback between what people expect and what they deliver. And I wonder if that just by the mere nature of that information um, spilling across is is influencing you know those lean backs that really even if they are leaning back, they're almost compelled to lean forward and and take notice because the noise or the volume's louder. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that it's the, it's even a, a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's what I call when employees all buy into this, it's, it's what I call a worldview, a worldview that says we're all about the customer. The purpose of our business is about the customer and not every company thinks like that. So it's, it is transformational. Most, most organizations look at the relationship 
between a company and its customers as transactional. All right? And there's a... So if you buy my product, I will be, I'll smile at you and I'll be nice, but that's the only relationship we have. If you don't buy my product, then I really don't care much about you. Mm. I think the customer 3D companies begin to look at and more, they're more mindful of their purpose in the world, and they have grander goals or missions for the company. So there's a, a company in the book that is into organic supplements, flax and fish oil and this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying our, our purpose is to sell fish oil, they say our purpose is for a healthier world. And we just happen to sell fish oil and flax and other supplements that help accomplish that. Mm. That makes sense? It does. I just wonder how companies who may be geared by the CEO to have this customer empathy at one of their values or one of their core, how they go from you know, selling a service or a product, but they do they do want to do it in a customer intimate way to identifying what that cause is, being able to move it into um, almost having that purpose. I think it starts with with understanding you're right. I love the word empathy because that's what it is. But you don't just snap your fingers and get empathy. You have to train your employees to do that. And I think it starts with, a lot of dialogue, a lot of, it starts with leadership. Leadership says that we're in this business to make the customer successful, to engage with the customer, and to constantly innovate on behalf of the customer. Mm. And I think when that happens, then the, the mindset changes. And so in, in, instead of being transactional mm -hmm. I'm selling you a product and you're buying it from me instead of being transactional it is purpose driven around optimizing the entire relationship so I think it starts with defining that purpose based on a grander defining that view based on a grander purpose for the company and how it relates to the customer yeah, no, we so just I in the book, I talk about how you know create a purpose for your company that has that does not use that does not mention your product. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I think I think the other thing. You know, so if you if you sell coffee and say, well, the purpose of my company is to sell coffee, then that's not very customer three D. No. If you say it in terms of the purpose is for enjoyment and grouping of people and meeting and creating community and good flavor and all of this stuff, then it becomes a bigger purpose and the employees can buy into it. Yeah, I, think I had a client, I had a client that, you know, we, you know, we talk about status quo. That's mm -hmm. what we're really, that's the whole lean back versus sit forward status quo. And of course the origin of the word status quo is the same as static. Mm. And static means you're standing still. Mm. So I think it's a constant, well thought out effort to continue 
continuous improvement to keep momentum going and you know to generate a stronger connection to your client mm-hmm. and so yeah we, again we have one company that says we want the our, we want to be the favorite call from our customer every every week and you know so they're very personable and they're very understanding of their company of their of their customer we, we've got a, we're talking about the stability or, or the traditional ways of doing business we've got a manufacturing company who you know is as old-fashioned as they get I love them very dearly but they had a 14-day time frame to, for a customer to get a price quote. Oh, my goodness. All right? And so for years and years and years, the job of the employee was to explain to the customer why it took 14 days to get a price quote. <laughs> All right? Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And so a, a group of employees said, without management's approval, they they went underground, if you will, on a working on their own, and they said, no, we can do better than that. They reduced the 14 days to one day. <laughs> and they, well, they did it because they cared about it. Yeah. And they, they it could be done. Otherwise, you, we we create robots in our companies that, that say, um, when someone calls, I'll robotically tell them it's 14 days to get a price quote. And these individuals on their own turned around and changed it because they knew they could change it. And they and they knew the customer would benefit. Well, that's that's a- the whole mindset. And, yeah. and the other thing that the customer 3D companies do is they tell stories about that. And so they, when you, when an employee at that company there's a story about 14 days to one day, and they say, well, this group of three people did this on their own, but you can do it as well. They say, I didn't know I could do that. I'll start to look for other ideas. And it, and so it becomes a momentum on its own of how, they, how the company gets better by storytelling and explaining what great customer connection means. Yeah, and what it looks like. I, I, I interviewed um, John DeJulius a couple of weeks ago and what he was saying is one of his um, clients, I think it was the Hilton, you know, it might have been his own hotel, to just get an idea of what a boutique service looks like. If you take one of the employees that's never experienced, you know, five-star, if you will, service, it's pretty hard to imagine what that looks like. And so I, what I'm really interested in and what sort of evolving I see is this customer experience design where you actually take a day in the life of a customer or you map it out or you give your employees that experience so that they can see how they can augment that up one level or two levels um, so that they can um, map out those touch points or those points of difference that really do delight as opposed to just business as usual. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I agree with that. My, my only problem with the, the customer experience term is that most people define that as transaction. 
Absolutely. Your, your experience is transactional. Yeah. All right? Now, if you can get beyond that, then it becomes important. Yeah. But if the, if the, uh, if the philosophy, back to the machine versus the organism, if the, the philosophy is the company is a machine and all the employees are parts of the machine and they're interchangeable and I can manufacture a customer experience that, will, that the customer will love, I don't think that's the right answer mm -hmm. because I think that's under, still underserving, underperforming for the customer. Mm -hmm. it, when you think abundantly, when you think expansively, that says, I want all of our employees to constantly look for new ideas, for innovation, to, to question why we're doing things a certain way. And if you can't get a decent answer for that, then to start to look for an alternative. Mm -hmm. And how do you think you enable that? Say, say you had a CEO who was um, passionate about empathy, about having this customer-centric business, and he had he had passed that through to his management team, and you know, um, basically talked about that with his staff. How do you create opportunities for that? How do you get the engine to move, other than just setting that mindset that yes, you're allowed to do that, and the only um, the only answer to a customer is yes. So, so how do you actually create opportunities for them to do that? Well, I think that it, it starts with making the, the word customer-centric mm -hmm. important. And customer-centric, people think, that most of the world thinks, well, I can be product-centric and customer-centric. And my belief is, no, you can't be both. One thing has to be in the center. Now, you can still sell your product and make a profit on it. But to be with the customer in the center, to think of ideas and to empower the employees, not just the one or two people in a research and development function, mm -hmm. but to empower all the employees to, to pretend that they were a customer and wonder why are we doing it this way? If I were on the customer's end, I wouldn't like this. Mm. And why do we accept it as part of our regimen? Mm. So it's a gradual thing. You know, as I said earlier, you don't just snap your fingers and make it happen. Mm. But it, the transformation starts when you create the ideal and say, we're always looking for new ways to improve our relationship with the customer. So, again, the customer is almost an equal partner in this relationship. And we have to think logically about if I have a computer program that takes 10 steps to accomplish the, the task, why does it take 10 steps? And why do you look at the individual process that happens for that? And I think it's, a, it's just it's a matter of creating an environment inside your organization that is open, that's proactive, uh, because most companies are reactive. Yeah. Proactive, and and allowing that to within reason to happen. 
So I agree. A, a company that a company that is used to saying no, we can't do it. Here's my rules. Here's my procedures, etc. It's hard for them to change that. Absolutely. And again, the companies that are in the book have developed an employee freedom that allows, within, again, within reason, the freedom to act on behalf of the customer. Yeah, I think that's what you're you're saying. It's freedom and empowerment. I guess that the difference that I'm sort of saying or what I see is even if you allow them that freedom and even if you ask them to look for those opportunities, they don't necessarily know what they look like. And I think that a lot of people, well, this is my assumption, I don't think that it's that easy to feel empathetic to some people. I think it's not a natural state. I, I think everyone can do it, but I think they have to be trained to do it. It's it's like when I go to people and I look at their website and I say, well, what do you think? And I say, well, it's colourful and it's nice and it's whatever. And I say, well, what do you think if you were the customer looking at this? How does it talk to you? You know, and they don't get it. You know, it's talking all about them. It's not actually talking to me. And I think that that sitting in the customer's shoes is actually quite difficult. I think it's a pro – that's why I was sort of saying about what are the tools that we can use. You know, sometimes people I – think it, I, I think if it's difficult, it's only because there are – Like preconceived ideas. in your mind yes, I agree. that you're restricted. I agree. But, so, I, yeah, you know, I think I that would, exists. I would, ex I would propose to you that you could fly on an airplane mm -hmm. and – have a perfectly acceptable flight, arrived on time, it arrived safely, no problems, etc. Yeah. Your baggage arrived and that sort of thing. And you could still come up with five ways to improve that flight. Absolutely. I bet you the, flip, the, the crew on that flight could come up with ten ways to improve it because they're closer to it. True. So but I guess you have to ask your... I, I, you have to ask your question. If if both of us can understand ways to improve that quote unquote normal situation, then why aren't we doing that? Well, I think it's partly what you've said, which is the freedom, the curiosity, the empowerment, and I think it's partly the enablers. What I did in a construction company because. Um, you know, you're right. They, look, the employees are so close, to, some of them, to customers. They can see things, but they don't always act on them. You know, we can see what it feels like to have a good experience. We remember it, and we equally remember a really bad experience, but we mightn't right. act on it. And so to get them to act on it, I did a big whiteboard with a big happy face and a big sad face so that they could actually put up you know, what was a good experience and what was a bad experience, just to get them in that mindset or frame of actually acting on those ideas. And so that's what I was talking about with enablers, giving them those little tools or tips until they get to a place where I think it almost becomes second nature to put those ideas out there. We have a, a, a museum that's in the book. It's the, called the Museum of Play. It used to be called the National Toy Museum. And it's a, it should be a fun place to go to, right? It's toys. Yeah. And 10 years ago, they were, well, if you have an image of a museum, what is, what is the image of a typical museum? Well, 
stuffy, boring, stodgy. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch anything. Yeah, hard to interact. All of, everything's in glass. You know, do you have all these rules? You Be can't quiet. do this. You can't do that. Yeah. yeah. Like a library. <laughs> and, and so they, the vice president of customer relations came in and changed that whole culture because, and she transformed it with her frontline employees, which they, they all wear blue golf shirts, so they call them, call them the blue shirt. And she tells the blue shirts to, I want to be you to be an individual. Show your personality to the customer and listen for what the customer is saying, even if it's not an actual complaint. And so all of these stories have transformed the relationship of that museum and made it into a fun place that is constantly looking for new ideas because it's being reinforced. Mm. All right. And by the way, the, in those, those 10 years, the attendance and the membership in that museum has over tripled. So, you know, the, the customers like it as well. Absolutely. But it's that, it's that transformation mentality that says that, and, and by the way, they have group meetings every morning to talk about successes with the customer and it gets reinforced that says, okay, Danielle did this today. She can, now you can go out and do the same thing. Well, I didn't know. That's good. I'm glad she did that. And so it becomes, it builds on itself mm. because the storytelling reinforces it. Yeah. And so suddenly character. you're exactly right. And it's hard to see, but the more you hear stories, then the more familiar it comes to you. And you start to see ways that you can Im impact that as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, for me, if I was sort of putting this in, it's almost first listening and, and hearing for what the cu customer really is asking or looking for or seeing it and then acting on it, then, then sharing that and it becoming part of the culture, part of the normal. And then, it, you know, this, it transforms the organisation from, you know, from perhaps where they were serving to where they could be serving based on this customer centricity. Right. Yeah. And I think the mindset then becomes we can be better than what we are yesterday. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And I know that sounds like an affirmation, but you know what I'm saying is that the constant, it's constant improvement. It says, you know, somebody asks for X and you say, well, we can do better than that. We'll do X plus something else. And that's the kind of, thing that is allowed to happen and it when it's allowed to happen you continue to do it and i think employees can feel when there's lip service just given to this because the ceo feels that it's the way to drive revenue as opposed to heartfelt really feeling that empathy for the customer at the at the um core of the business and knowing that the result of having that mindset or culture will result at the end of the day in a more profitable practice or company. Absolutely. Yeah. And one that they can be proud of. Yeah, and that they buy into that vision and where they're going and, and that they're proud. Yeah, absolutely. You can feel it, um, which is, which is kind of nice. But it, 
But it is, you know, going back to where we were earlier, it is a different way of looking mm. or, and thinking. And it, it has to be built up over time. The transformation just doesn't come in and, and write a memo. <laughs> you know, the, the museum is well known and they get a lot of inquiries that says, can you teach us how to do that? And they also get a lot of inquiries that said, oh, well, we're really busy. We really don't have time for you to come down and teach us that. Would you, would you just send us a PDF of the, I'm sure it's all, on, you could put it all on three pages and just send us a PDF and we'll copy it. <laughs> and if, I mean, seriously, if you think that, then you'll never make it. No. If you think that, you know, it's like a recipe. Oh, just send me the recipe and I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, you're never going to be a great chef if you just want to do a quick version of the recipe and say that you're a great chef. Absolutely. So have, so. You, have you started with any companies in the way that you consult and, you know, seen that transformation? And if you have, where have they started in this process? Have they had any inkling of customer centricity but not known how to execute it? Or have they just seen it as a competitive advantage? So, you know, they're going on the journey. Can you give us an example? Well, they, I think the, the answer is that it, it, it depends. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it is the, the way I always start is with the leadership and to have conversations like you and I are having and to help them understand how it, what it looks like. Mm. And that's not as easy as you think. Mm. Because most people in that lean back mentality think, oh, I know what customer service is. I've known customer service for the last 20 years. And if you think that it cannot be changed, it cannot be disrupted, then you'll never make it. So you have to suspend that old version and begin to look at it from a new perspective. And once you do that, then it develops. Yeah, so that's the starting point where you can actually but I think, go forward. Right, but I think that it's, I think it's equally important that it's it's difficult for certain companies to change unless their customer wants them to change. And I think that what I'm trying to do this year is to develop a community of customers, a tribe, if you want to call it that, that in fact, understands what the, what they're seeing, that it's completely different than the traditional definition of customer service. And to help explain to employees and to companies to what it looks like and how to accomplish it. Oh, and not in a, not in a hateful sense or a, a criticizing sense, but in an opportunity sense, sense that says, you know, it's important to me if you did this. It's important to me. Why is it not important to you? Mm. Why don't you have a look at changing that website or doing this or doing that? And over time, they will, I think the community will come together. And one of the things that I'm doing to drive that community is to create a website that has 
information on it for other thought leaders from other thought leaders that have said things like this over time. So I will, I'll send you a link to that. But I think we, we live in a world where we want to see things. You, you may not be able to imagine something futuristic, but if you've seen it done before and just realized that it hasn't been implemented, then you're more willing to accept that. And so if you want to call this a, a library, it's not really a library, but it's a resource for a community. And I'm trying to build that, build that so people can come to it and realize that <clears throat> there's a whole new way of looking at customer service and that, that they should be there. And by the way, when I use the word customer, you know, the, the website will have a portion of it devoted not only to business, but also to education, to not-for-profits, to health care, and to even government. And to, to point out that we can all learn from the other industries. I know we can get proprietary sometimes that healthcare is only healthcare, but we can all learn from that. There's a, an art, a blog that I'm getting ready to write about the, the Mayo Clinic that a few years ago put in design thinking with inside the organization with just a few people. And they, they realized that they're in a, an industry where testing of drugs is normal, clinical testing. And they said, well, why can't we test the relationship between patients and doctors and do the same thing with that? And so they've developed that with the help of IDO and have created this Center for, Interve Center for Innovation with inside, inside of Mayo Clinic. There's no reason that a business or a not-for-profit cannot do the same thing. And so if we learn from the other sectors, then we'll just grow this thing faster and faster. Absolutely. Well, I'm really interested in that um, community, so definitely put the link um, on this interview afterwards. So what's so that you're, you know. yeah. So you're obviously working on that. Um, what's what's next for you, Bill? Other than that, is there is there things on the horizon that you're working on? Working on the website, doing as much public speaking as I can. So invite me to Australia, if you will. Okay, there you go. <laughs> we'll put and, but, but I think that my purpose now is really to spread the message yeah. and to generate the momentum that I described earlier because it is a, you know, once the momentum starts and we start to, to get out of our restrictive environment and say, Maybe there are other ways. Maybe I should start asking questions. <clears throat> and then if when the companies realize that the customers are starting to ask questions, then that momentum will continue. And they'll say, well, I, maybe I should ask that question internally before the customer even asks it. Yeah. And that's the secret yeah. is to ask the question before the customer does. Absolutely. And, and, and then you've got the opportunity to delight them because – You've anticipated their needs, and you know it, it, it's a good place to be. So, um. so uh, let, let's just end on that note. I think it, it really is about 
the willingness to ask questions over and over and over. Why do we do it this way? Why has this been the same way for the last two years and it hasn't changed? Why, why, why? If you ask those questions as a routine, and I'll use the word challenge, challenge it within your organization. Why does this website take 10 clicks when it, other websites take one? Then you, you, you don't solve it on the day of, but what you do is you start to, that process that says, you know what, there's no, there's really no reason it takes 10 clicks. We should, we should correct that and the customer will benefit from that. When you start to thinking, start to think like that, then the good things will start to come to you and the customer will they can only think benefit. of you different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, again, the, one of the one of our clients says, and the reason we do this, not only do we we love our customers, but we want our customer to ask our competitors, well, X Y Z does it. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a that's when it becomes a bit of a game changer across across industries. So, yeah. lately, well, thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed the interview. It was great talking with. You. And um, I'll put links to um, the community when you send me and your book, which is a, a which is a fantastic read, and it's got so many great examples in it. So um, I'll put a link to that as well. So thank you. Nice. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.